if, if you'll allow me to read from a couple of different portions of Scripture today, I'd like to read from John chapter 15 and then Exodus chapter 20. And preadventure the Lord will help us. We need him today. John 15 and verse 4 and 5. These are the words of Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. Please, please don't bypass that too quickly. Just settle there. Abide in me and I in you. Now he'll describe how that happens. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. There is no fruit of your life unless you're in him. Now he declares himself. I am the vine. He's going to tell you what what we are. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. It is redundant. This is This is with emphasis. When the Lord repeats himself two or three times, it's for emphasis. He that abideth in me, I in him. The same same bringeth forth much fruit. And here's the gripping, my gripping thought. For without me, ye can do nothing. I, I wish that we had a conviction. I wish you had a conviction. I feel like the American church has lost its conviction. If there's one conviction you ought not get rid of, it should be this. Without me, you can do nothing. Without you, God, I can do nothing. I want you to think about this for a moment. Without God, you can do nothing. Anything you think you're doing is for naught. It will fade away. It will burn away. It will rust and corrupt. Not only can I do nothing, but without him, I am nothing. This is so counterculture. We are nothing without God. Amen. Exodus 20 and 25. Just one verse there. It's noteworthy. I'll read it for you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 25. And if, this is what the Lord said, and if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hoon stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it thou hast polluted it amen in the name of Jesus I pray let it be according to your divine will whatever I speak Lord put the words into my mouth and let the let the whole congregation hear it and we receive it you alone are God we can do nothing without you We are nothing without you. There is no church without you. There is no freedom without you. There's no deliverance without you. There is no word unless you speak the word, Lord. There's no salvation without you, Lord. There's no help unless you are our help. There's no God unless you are our God. Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And when you get there, would you just call out a praise to the Lord when you're seated? Would you do that? Just give God some praise from your heart. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to provoke you again. <laughs> now, let's forget about all that's happened in our life and let's give God another praise just with our life. Yes. Out of your own mouth, would you call out, Holy! Holy is the Lamb of God! Worthy is the Lamb! Worthy is the Lamb of God! I want to be very careful because I know where I'm at, but I got to move out of ceremony and I've got to get into something else here. And I need the flowing of the free spirit of the Lord most high. I'll pick on our verbiage a little bit. Sometimes we say what we had good church. How about let's have some good God. Let's have good spirit. I don't want to learn how to do this. When God spoke to Moses concerning the tabernacle in the wilderness. Every item of its dimension was listed for him. The articles themselves were detailed in shape and form, height and width. Every thing was repeated and told and delivered, even the distinction of beaten gold or that which might be molded. The table of Shedem wood, a cubit the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof. The golden candlestick with the six branches, the bowls made like almonds. Here's a part of that description. There shall be a knob under the two branches and That was repeated three times just for that one article in the tabernacle. The curtains of the tabernacle on the outside and inside were detailed. The kind of animal skin that should be cut, how it was made, a fine twined linen. With all the other animal skins, the list is exhaustive. God did not leave any aspect of the tabernacle to their discretion. He commissioned the crafting of every piece. And then to those who would serve in that tabernacle, God ordered their attire and their conduct, the ephod, the girdle of the ephod, the breastplate of judgment, Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, A blue robe with pomegranates, bells of gold, the weaving of that particular thread. It was complete in every form. God so ordained it. If you move back in time a little bit, when God spoke to Noah concerning the ark that he should build, God gave him instructions to the dimensions of it. Noah did not create it by his own thinking. God said, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Noah did not originate the length of it. God told him so. Noah did not create the width of it. God spoke it. In fact, it was the Lord who offered the lower, the second, and the third stories inside of the ark and the placement and position of this life-saving boat. God said, finish it with one window and with one door and with pitch inside and without within and without to seal it. The details of that ark were to be followed. Noah did that. Noah and his sons cut the trees and crafted the boards and measured out the dimensions according to the commandment of the Lord because God so ordained it. And when the temple was built, Solomon's temple, it mirrored that of the original concepts which were given before time. All of it cut and fitted off-site and then carefully crafted like a puzzle as the pieces were put together. There was so much mechanical engineering that took place so much exacting 
that the Bible says that there was not a sound of a hammer heard when the temple was built. Look back a few pages, you'll find the people of Israel in disobedience to God. They complain, they murmur against God's provisions as people normally do. And in rebuke of them, God caused a suffering upon them. But under the direction of the Lord himself, he also caused a healing. He told Moses, make a brazen or bronze serpent, wrap it, wrap it around a pole, put that metal around a pole, form it so there could be healing in the camp. And Moses did so under the direction of the voice of the Almighty God. And in Egypt, on the night of all nights, you can read in your Bible, when the final plague came to call, it was God's instruction that saved them. Sacrificial lambs were to be found and and killed, and then the blood was to be applied on the doorpost, the outer doorpost of their homes. They would remember that and then follow that for generations to come. God ordained the Passover. He ordained Pentecost. And Sukkot, he set in motion the remembrance of the first fruit. He designed the season of the third ceremonial feast to commemorate their desert wanderings. All culminating in types and shadows of the feast of the trumpets. And to all of these things the people followed. The Bible is replete with these precise and meticulous measures throughout its pages. The altar of sacrifice, the molten sea, the Ark of the Covenant had a very specific covering. All of these things on top of the, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat and then cherubs resting there with their fine golden images and even the two massive pillars which were in the courtyard were built like towering spotlights into the evening sky. The children of Israel labored to create what God had commanded. If you journey a little farther, you'll find God's direction to Joshua and the position of the worshipers in relation to the men of war. The worshipers always went first. The trumpets, the harps, the drums, the cymbals, the shofar led the army. That was God's design. And if you consider the order of God's call to his prophets, you'll find a comprehensive look into the messages that they preached. They were layered with images and visuals and crafted items, often like props in a play to illustrate God's holy word and his prophetic word to the people. So many of them chiseled, crafted, formed, cut, fit, measured, pressed, straightened, fabricated, sewn into a position under God's direction. There was one thing which the Lord did not want them to handle. If thou make me an altar of stone, I shall not build it of whom stone. Exodus twenty twenty five. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Make all these things. Provide an open display of sequence, structure, design. But when it comes to you and me. Do not build it with a cut stone. Don't form it like the rest of them. When it comes to you and me. Keep your tools and your hammers and your knives and your iron working. Away from that stone. Make these other things. I've ordained them. I've sanctioned them. But if you're going to have a relationship with me, I can't be handled in the same way that you handle everything else. (laughs) If you're going to have a walk with me, it's not going to be by your design or your skill or your craft or your fabrication. Now Moses and the elders knew the significance of it. They even said as much to Joshua. They said to Joshua, someday, Joshua, you're going to cross over to the land of the promise. You're going to go to this new land. And when you make it past Jordan, build an altar there. Build a memorial there. But don't form it. Don't make it fit just right. Here's the word. And there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Thou shalt build an altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones. 
Because there are moments when we have to take the humanity out of it. Whole stones, jagged rocks, an altar that doesn't look appealing to the eye, and one, I submit, that is also fragile. And when Joshua crossed over that Jordan River on dry ground, when they, when they went over, and the men were still holding the Ark of the Covenant, and the waters were rolled back, then he ordered the men to go back into that river. They gathered large rocks from that dry riverbed that God had prepared long before they existed. God wanted them to build a monument to the moment, an altar. But they were not allowed to use their carving tools on those stones. It was different than all the rest. God brought them into the land that flowed with milk and honey. God made it possible. It was not manufactured. It could not be done with talent or ability that brought them there. It was not wisdom. It was not a plan or an organized effort. So when they built the monument, this memory, think now, because a monument is supposed to carry a memory. God said, don't build it with dressed stones. I want you to remember that it was all me. I want you to remember that I was the one who put that together. And I want you to build an altar. A little fragile. I want you to build something that reminds you that it was me. You didn't form it. And God was so concerned that even that personal altar could become an idol. He didn't want it elaborate. He didn't want it pretty. He didn't want it fancy. It wasn't supposed to be about the dimensions or the time frame or the beauty. Don't decorate it, he said. Don't adorn it. Don't embellish it with other things because the altar was never supposed to be more important than the sacrifice. The sacrifice was the most important thing, not the altar. It was what was laid on it. So don't form it so you can walk away and not worry about it. Make it so the rocks are not dressed. So that, so leaving the edges, leave the corners and, and leave those ill-fated, ill-fitted shapes. Make it so that if one stone is upon another, it might fall down if you're not paying attention to it. Make the altar so that it always takes time and attention. <laughs> because when it comes to our relationship, our walk, God wants us to treat it carefully. When it comes to Him, On purpose, he will not fit into your schedule. On his purpose, he will not conform to your thinking. Oh my. On purpose, he will not be handled by your good intention. Your good intention is no match for his word. In fact, let me just say this. Our good intention is always subservient to our obedience. Because a lot of people have good intentions, but they don't have obedience. Obedience is better than your good intentions. Obedience rises better than your heartfelt thoughts. Obedience is better than your understanding. You don't have to understand, you just have to obey. I never understood why my parents were saying what they were saying. It wasn't until I was much older that I got it. The light bulb clicked on. And God will call you to do something you will not understand, but you just have to obey him. And if you don't obey him, then that means you're trying to figure it out. You're never going to figure it out. You're not going to figure out the ways of God. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. They're far past finding out. I don't know why God led you the way he led you. Maybe he did so that you could survive. Because there was an easier way out of Egypt into Canaan land. But God said, if I bring them the shorter way, they'll die because there's a battle in that way. So I'm going to bring you the way of the Red Sea. And I stand here to say, God has brought you a way that you didn't think was the right way. But he was saving you in that way. He was leading you in that way because he knew you would die in another path. Listen, it is his purpose and his will to do good to his people. He bought you with his own blood. You don't love your children like God loves you. You'll never love your babies like God loves you. You're never going to love your spouse like God loves you. It is his will and his purpose to save you. And you got to have a conviction. I'm no good without God. I'm no good without the Lord. I'm no good without worship. I'm no good without a relationship. I can't bear any fruit without him. 
if I'm not in him, there's nothing good coming out of my life. Can you hear what I'm saying today? Some of us have been trying to do good without God. It's not working. It will never, ever work. You can never do good without God. You're never going to amount to anything that's good without God until you get back to God. And, and to walk with him, a relationship with him. He will demand that you keep your design to yourself. Because he's not following you. You're following him. And the moment we think we can put him in some frame, some context. That's the moment that we lose sight of him. He's making requests of you that are illogical. That's right. It's a strange Bible. It's a strange Bible. People don't read the Bible. They read portions of it because they, they, they don't like everything that it says. They don't want the application of everything. They're reading three or four verses and then, then trying to live their life, but they don't understand the whole counsel of God. The prophet comes in a, in a, in a, in a famine. He comes to the, to the widow woman who has a little son. And he says to her, do you have anything to eat? And she said, well, I've got one last meal and a little bit of oil. I was going to make one more cake. Me and my son were going to eat it and then we were going to die. And the prophet says, make me a cake first. It doesn't compute to us. In fact, if you said that today, they just people get angry about it. They call the prophet heartless. Well, you just don't understand life, preacher. You just don't understand what we're going through. You don't understand my time frame. You don't understand what I got going on in my life. And you want me to stop everything I'm doing and come to worship? You want me to stop everything I'm doing and give? I got nothing left. All I got is this little bit. A little bit. That's what you want, a little bit? You just want my last? If I give you this little bit, I've got nothing for myself. I've got nothing from my family. See, that doesn't compute with God because we want to put everything in context. I'm going to budget God into my finances. Oh, man. I am out on an island by myself today. I am way out there. I struggled. I'm going to tell you what. I have struggled with this for one month straight. I've told the Lord I don't even know how to write it down. Because I don't even know if I can put it down. Because it's bigger than a piece of paper. It's bigger than a script. This is the moving of the Holy Spirit. He's calling you to do something and me to do something. I can't fit him even into a sermon. The prophet said, make me a cake first. And when she obeyed the word, it did not make sense or understanding. This is what God did. For the duration of the famine, whenever she went back to that, that little jar of oil, there was enough. Just enough. When she went back to that jar of, of, of meal, some flour, there was enough for one more cake. And the next day, there was enough for one more cake. And the next day, there was enough for one more cake. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what's going on. Every, every time I come to this, I got just enough for one more day. He didn't give me too much. It's like the manna from heaven. You can't store it up just every day. I don't know how this is taking place. God's keeping me every day. He's keeping me today. I don't know about tomorrow. I can't compute it. But the Lord has been keeping me every day. And if someone asks you, how'd you get this far? You just say, there was a day when I was empty and I was down and I was low. But I came to the church house and I said, I don't feel good. I got no strength. I've got no ability. But I thought if I could just worship one more time. God is speaking. You can't put him in your hand. These are these are immature prayers. So just forgive me if you're mature. You just forgive you forgive me. But I prayed these old prayers. It's been a long time, but I remember praying. Lord, I'm gonna give you a chance now. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I've been hurt really bad. I remember growing up and when in my teenage years and when I was early 20s, I was hurt real bad. And I wasn't hurt by the world. I was hurt by the people in the church. And I said to God, okay, God, I'm going to give you another chance. As if, 
That's just immature, dumb, immature prayers, just child prayers. But the father has been so good. Like Jacob. When Jacob ran from his father's house and ran from his corn brother and he stumbled upon a place he didn't even know. He later called it Bethel and he went to sleep and he had a vision of a ladder and angels ascending and descending and he saw an image of God at the top. He woke up and he prayed an immature prayer. And he said, I'll tell you what, God, if you keep me, if you protect me, if you bring me back to my fa- to my father's house, if you fix my life, I'll tell you what I'll do for you, God. You can read your Bible. I'll give you a tenth of all I have. Jacob had nothing. And even if he had everything, he still had nothing. But he was a little immature. He was praying all these dumb prayers. And God overlooked all of his ignorance and still kept him and still loved him and still brought him back. Because the Father loves you so much. He's going to bring you back. And what you've got to say is, I know I can't put you in this box, Lord. I don't know how I got this far. But I know it was every day God gave me a little more and a little more and just enough. I cannot tell you why I'm standing here today. All I know, it was the grace of God. All I know is that I was, my brain was somewhere else. I was drowning in education. Drowning in it. Drowning in it. Trying to just cover up all the junk. I thought I'll just go to school forever. So I got a job at the school. And the college said, well, you can have all your classes for free. So I took everything. I said, what's, what's on the docket? I'll take all of it. I said, well, you can take all of it. It's a lot of hours. I said, I'll take all of it. And one semester after another, I went to school in the summer because I had nothing else to do. One night I went down to St. Louis and, 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 and pulled in and there was a, there was a, a, a camp meeting going on and I slid in kind of the side realm and I didn't even know who was in front of me, but Mickey, your grandmother was there. <laughs> She turned around to me and she said, Jeffrey, what are you doing? What's going on? What are you doing? And conviction got a hold of me. What kind of question was that? She put me in the back room. I sat on the floor in my suit for 45 minutes and it was one chair in the room. And then she prophesied to me for 45 minutes. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. I can't put it into a box that didn't compute. Why would I leave all of that? Why would I leave in the middle of all those programs? But God said, I got another path for you. Just try not to figure it out. Get your tools and get your iron. And I got some stones. You need to, you need to put those stones together. I'm going to intrude your life. I'm going to mess you up. In fact, if you're going to have a walk with me, you're going to have to be careful about that. Even knowing what was going to take place, Joshua said, look, get all the riverbed stones and, and, they're not going to hold together, so get some clay and put smash that clay around because they will fall down if we don't hold them together. But, but that's not how it always is. Sometimes you have to hold it together because if you're going to have a walk with God, you have to be careful about this thing. You can't be flippant. You can't act like, because it's not going to always make sense. And God's going to make a demand of you. And then you're, you're going to think, well, I can't afford that. I don't have the time for that. God always demanded first. He demands first. He demands the first day of the week. He demands your first love. He demands your first fruit. He becomes first. And first is going to interrupt everything. He's not going to compete. He's able. But if you think you're able, he'll just step out. He won't compete. Either you allow him to be first and foremost in everything. Or he just will step out. Because the rock that he is won't fit into your preconceived idea. He won't. He's going to mess you up. He's going to mess up your thinking. Don't believe in your education. Don't trust in your finances. And for certain, don't rest on your health. Because all three of those things can fade overnight. Some trust in horses. 
and some trust in chariots. Some trust in riches and some in forces. But we will remember the name of our God. This is what God said. Here's what God said. Don't dress it. This stone, don't dress it. Of course, now that, that has several derivatives, several meanings, all of which apply. But first, how it appears, don't make it beautiful. It's okay if it's nothing to look at. Think of this now. No comeliness that we should desire it. No glamour, nothing to boast about it. Common, the rock. And secondly, don't dress it means let it remain uncomfortable for you. It's not meant to be enjoyed. There's no pleasure on that altar. Can't lay down on it, relax. Just put the rocks together just as I made them. Not by your hand, not by might, not by your power. Are you getting this, everyone? See, we struggle with this because, because we want God to fit into the life that we've made. And we, we're burdened because he doesn't fit into the life that we made. We, we're burdened because we're wondering sometimes where God is, but we've never made room for him. We've decided to prioritize him. And we'll give him one day, but all the other days are ours. We'll give him Tuesday, but we're not going to give him Thursday. We'll give him Wednesday, but we're not going to give him Friday. We'll set aside some time for him on Sunday, but really on Monday morning, that's our time. And then we're wondering where God is. And we're in trouble. And then some try to make him a God to their liking. And they, they, they cut it out. And they, they, they have this little moment where they formed it. And they, they say, well, this is how God moves. You don't know how God moves. Well, God's always moved that way. He can move a different way. Come on, Moses, to the mountain. I, I want to put you here, and, and, and I'm going I'm to test you a little bit. And, and then there was a thunder, and then there was a storm, and then there was a wind, and there was a rain, and there was a quake. And God was in none of that. And then he spoke in a still, small voice. Could you have expectation of God that he's going to do something the way you think he's done it? Because he's done it before like that. He can, but he might not. In fact, the Lord can speak to you through people that you didn't know who was talking to you. It was God talking through them. They didn't even know what they were saying, but they were saying a word to your life to give you direction. That God can talk to you through a song. He can talk to you through a sinner. He can speak to you through the sky and the wind and the rain. And he spoke through animals and burning bushes. And if he can speak through a donkey and a chicken, he can speak through anybody. I know some chickens. It's a bunch of spineless people. But God can talk to people like that. He, I know some donkeys. We won't point them out. God can speak to anything, anybody. You got this preconceived idea. Here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to go down to the altar. I'm going to get prayed for. God's going to do the work. And you didn't know that God could do that. It might be your 50th time down at the altar. And then God starts the process of healing. It could be overtime. It could be instance. It could be that you prayed, we laid hands on you, but sometime in the night you woke up and something just happened, a revelation. It could be that you didn't understand anything about what was going on in your life, but the Lord gave you enough grace so that you would never understand, but you would always trust. Peter is struggling with the inclusion of the Gentiles. The Bible says he's He's hungry. He's on the rooftop of his house. Catching in a little sun rays, I suppose. I don't know. It's Acts chapter 10. It's a full decade after Pentecost. And Peter is confident in who is qualified to receive the gospel. Now he knows who is allowed to receive it and who isn't. And in a vision, Peter sees heaven open and a vessel descending. Been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down. And there was all these manners of food he's never eaten. Or at least that's what he said. 
four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air. These are the animals of the unclean. It's 2,000 years of tradition. It's Leviticus chapter 11. Peter knows the scripture first and foremost. He knows it full well. Leviticus 11. You don't touch this. It's unclean. You don't eat pork and shrimp and catfish. You need all that kind of food. None of that meat. But what he's missing is that Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And that the vision is from the Lord himself. And three times Peter rejects the meat. Though God has specifically told him, rise up Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. To which the Lord replies, don't ever call what I've cleaned common or unclean. The meat was the Gentile race. Cornelius, in the meantime, has sent two men to knock on Peter's door. The Jews had nothing to do with the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles did not follow the law. They had no heritage. They didn't fit in. They had no connection. They had no lineage. They had nothing. They had no Abraham. They had no covenant. They had no circumcision. They had no order. They had no ceremony. They had no prayer. They didn't have any of that. God said, stop trying to think about how this is going to work. I'm going to open up a door and no one's going to shut that door. I'm a clean people. You didn't think were qualified. And when I do that, we're going to bring them in. And while you're preaching, I'm going to pour out my spirit. You're not even going to have an altar call because it's going to have a... While he was yet preaching the word, while Peter yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they all began to speak in other tongues. Now I love the structure. We have the structure. I brought the structure with me here today. This is a little printout structure. It says what songs we're going to sing. It gives the, it give, it, it, I have little notes on it so I can remember what I'm supposed to do. Everyone else makes their notes. It's the song list. Who's leading? What song? Prayer by Brother Tim Barber. It was an awesome prayer today. Did you hear his prayer while he was praying? Then there's pastor consideration. That's where I got to brag on people that, that been married 60 years. And we're all scratching our head. My dear God, that's a long time. And Brother Huddiger turned 76 years old. And man, he's doing good. And he said he don't need another pair of socks. That's all we got for him. So, and then we have announcements and then, and then next Sunday, it's an important Sunday and, and, and we're having evening worship next Sunday night. Here's the order and he, and he, and he here's, here's where all the things are supposed to happen. That, that's the organization of it. That, that's the temple. That's the tabernacle. That, that's all the stuff. But let me just tell you, with, when we put this together, we always say, but whatever God wants to do, I've got a structure, but it's never bigger, that bigger than God. I got a structure, but it's never bigger than the Holy Ghost. I've got a format, but I don't love it. I've got a reason, but I, I'm not, I'm not attached to it. God can do anything. God can move any way he wants. where you're sitting right now the Lord wants to heal your body and you might say but prayer time is over but the Lord wants to do it right now in your life he wants to raise you up wait here's something that's not on the list here's something that's not on the list it's not on here where the preacher, Brother Sumner, gets up and starts talking. I just thought, wouldn't be nice to hear from him today. He's not on the list. He's not on the schedule. He's not in the structure. Because when we bury something, and we put a, a stone over it, and we seal it, and we think that's final. That's it. That's over. That's done. Move on. Move on. But the preacher got up and said, no, 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 no. Wait a second. It's not over. When it's over. If you'll just receive the word. He's not bound to your tomb. He's not bound to your stones. 
can say it's over and it's done. Your ministry is over and it's done. But the word of the Lord. Here's what the preacher said today. If you'll receive it here, the word of the Lord. You thought you were dead. But God can bring you out. Let me, let me just ask you, and, and I'm not trying to patronize you, but let me just ask you, is this a spirit-led church? Is it really a spirit-led church? Are you really led of the Holy Spirit? Is God really in charge of what you're doing right now and how you're living? Is it a spirit-led church? See, I cannot answer for the corporate body. Everybody's got to answer for themselves. It's not how it works. And now we're just going to say to everybody, we're a spirit-led church. We're only a spirit-led church if all the people are led of the spirit. Because we can put it on our letterhead, spirit-led church. We can put it on a big sign out there, spirit-led church. But that's just formality. That's ceremony. It only happens if all the people are led by the Holy Ghost. I woke up this morning with my mind staying on Jesus. Let me just read it to you in another little verbiage. John 3. The wind blows wherever it pleases. It listeth. It desires. You can hear the sound thereof. You cannot tell where it's coming from. I don't know where it's going. That's the spirit. You can't put him in a box. You can't put him in a time frame. If I dismiss you at 12 o'clock noon, that doesn't mean God's done. In fact, the only reason why we try to keep a time schedule is because we got like 150 children running around. Afternoon, they start drawing on the walls. <laughs> Parents are happy, but the teachers, are, they lost half their hair on their left side. God's not through. When we're done, he's still operating. Church is never over. It's wherever you are. Church did not begin at 10 o'clock. It's not over at noon. It doesn't begin again in the evening. It's not on Wednesday. It's every day. You are the body. You are led by the Spirit. I'm ready for the Lord to interrupt us. I'm ready for a great interruption. Lord, I'll print it out, but that's just a piece of paper, Lord. Listen, I know places where the paper is bigger than the Savior, but let it not be here. That's not how I grew up. I grew up when it was offering time, the Holy Ghost will move in the offering time. I grew up when there was offering time. One time the guy that was praying for the offering, he got so blessed. He had his wallet in one hand, he had the offering pan in another hand. He buckled to the ground, speaking in tongues, dropped his whole wallet in the offering. We didn't give that back. I don't even know if we took up an offering. Because we're just led by the Spirit. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. Don't get into formality. God can heal you. God can deliver you. God can save you. Don't think anybody's over. God's bigger than the tomb. He's He's bigger than the backslider. He's bigger than your ailment. He's bigger than your depression. He's bigger than your anxiety. He's bigger than your sickness. It's never over. God's a great God. He's greater than you can imagine. He's higher than the highest. He's deeper than the deepest. He is the Lord God Almighty. He's holy. His name is holy. He is the Lord. There is none other. is God. There is no other Savior. Come on, said He's the rock. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's Shadaba, Sandaraba, Shatayaba. He Kataraba, Shandaraba. Yeah. Keep standing, keep clapping, keep praising.
Let me just read a little bit to you. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Job 26, 8. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the moon, spreads the clouds over. He marks the horizon on the face of waters, a boundary of light and darkness. He does it all by himself. Job said, the pillars, here's Job 26, 11. The pillars of heaven tremble. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. Psalm 99, 1. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sits between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. Psalm 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Let me just tell you how it's all going to wrap up, just so you know. Daniel the prophet saw it. He wrote it in his book. He said this to King Nebuchadnezzar who had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar also knew the craftiness of his magicians and said, if you can't interpret this, I'll just kill you. They went and got Daniel and said, hey, can you save us? Yes. Daniel said to the king, don't kill these men. They have no idea what they're talking about. They said, do you, he said, do you have the vision? He said, I don't have anything. God has it. Read in your Bible. Daniel said, I don't have anything. God has it. I can't tell you anything, but God can tell you everything. Let me just tell you what God said. He said, let me tell you about what happened when you were in your bed dreaming. You dreamed. You saw a large statue of a man, massive in size, with different types of material that made up his body. I'm paraphrasing here. The head was made of gold. That was Babylon. Then came Persia, Greece, and Rome. Gold, then the arms of silver. The midsection was that of bronze, the legs of iron. Then finally, its, its feet of this massive statue. The feet was iron and clay. The most common thought was that of the coming empires. But the feet are also that of an image of the remnants of Rome and the coming Antichrist. It's a revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist, rising in the end time, our time. To lead a coalition of ten nations. This This is in your scripture. You'll find this in your scripture. It's the little horn coming out of the ten horn kingdom. It's the Antichrist, the son of perdition. But at the end of the interpretation comes the statement. Daniel said, and I saw a rock. It was a stone. It was cut out, but it wasn't cut by human hands. Let me quote it. Here's what you saw, Nebuchadnezzar. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and he broke them to pieces. Because at the very end, the thing that you could not ordain, the thing that you could not dress up, the one that you could not fit in a box, that rock is going to smash the whole thing down. It's all going to come crumbling down. We got the opportunity to worship him without hands. He is the Lord. He is great. He's going to rule the earth. He's going to wrap it all up. And he has the power in your life to do anything. I don't know where you're coming, Lord. I don't know where you're going to come. But I know you're already around. I don't know the answer yet, Lord. But I know you know the answer. So hear me, saints. Put aside all your preconceived ideas of how the Lord moves. You're never going to figure it out. All you have to do is rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice and rejoice with trembling, knowing he is the Lord God Almighty, which reigneth, which was, which is, and which is to come. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. He's everything in the middle. He was before time. He'll be after time. He's the Lamb. He's the Lamb of God. He's the light of the world. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Lord of glory. He's the lawgiver. He's without spot. He's without anything. He is God Almighty. He's the rose. He's the rock. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the high tower. I don't know how he does it, but he took you from your dirty, rotten state and he brought you into the body and he cleansed you.
Scotty, I wish I had this reference. I don't have the reference, but I have the word. Though your sins be as scarlet. Isaiah 118. Thank you. Though your sins be as scarlet. Though your sins are all messed up. Your life is all stained. Though your life is all, all wrecked. You got all kinds of skeletons in your closet. You look like a valley of dry bones, all that junk. You can remember all that. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You go figure that out. You're going to look at me and say, Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. I'm like, you don't understand what I've done. God knows everything that you've ever done. And he's still saying, hey, I'm ready to wash you clean. You can't even put that in a box. You can't sell that. Yes, well, I know people, Pastor, that they're never going to get back. They're never going to get back. They're cold. You don't understand how cold. Yes, they're cold now. (laughs) But you ain't seen nothing yet until the world starts to collapse on itself and economies start to fold and tribulation starts to rise and the world starts to be... egregious place to live then the saints start to call out come quickly you ain't seen any revival yet you've never seen a revival that's going to happen it's going to be the former lane and the rain and the latter rain it's going to come together you don't know what people will do when they see the end time press upon them you can't fit that into that altar that stone, it's gonna, it's gonna intrude on your life. It's gonna mess up. If you'll have a relationship with God, it'll mess up your sleep. You'll get up in the middle of the night, he'll prod you and say, hey, I need a little time with you right now. And you'll say, oh Lord, let me sleep. I gotta get up in two hours. And he said, I need a little, I need 10 minutes with you right now. I need, I need 11 minutes and 46 seconds. I, I need some time with you. Don't, 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 don't shun that. God, God wants to move on you. Don't consider yourself just consider him he is the great savior he wants to intrude on your on your day he wants to mess you up so that you can be saved he wants to bring you somewhere he wants to challenge your faith he wants to take your little and make it great he wants to sustain you every day every day come on somebody have a conviction i wish you had a conviction without you i can do nothing Come on now with your heart. Come on with your heart. Help me. With your hands, with your heart. Without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. Yes. And whatever prayer you pray, just let it come out of your mouth right now to the Lord. Whatever prayer that is, just let it come out of your mouth to the Lord. Brother McLeod, I want some give Brother McLeod a microphone. I want you to come. I want you to speak a word over this house. This altar is open for everyone who wants to move out. Uh, wherever you are, this is the moment for our lives. Now out of your mouth just say it. I love you. I need you. I need you, Lord. Clean that, clean that out. Clean those expectations out. Yes. 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 No one ever thought of speaking in other tongues. They did not understand that. They never thought of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, but that was God's design. He prophesied it, but they didn't understand it. 
because it was the tongue of men and of angels. So right now, remove your expectation of what God can do or what he will do. He's beyond your expectation. He's greater than that. Ah. Help us. Come. Maybe your attention just for one moment. Perhaps the greatest battle of Jesus' entire ministry was tradition. To the point he said that your tradition makes the word of God of no effect. This is the spirit the Holy Ghost has come to confront in this house today. To push us beyond the place of routine. To push us beyond the place of comfort. To lead us beyond the place of familiarity. Because I tell you the greatest battle that Jesus still has today is tradition. It's not the government. Perhaps the greatest revival happening in the earth today is happening in a very strict communist country. It's not the government. It's not the moral decline. It's not the chaos in our culture. It's our tradition. And here's what the Holy Ghost would ask of us in this moment. Whatever your traditional response is at the conclusion of a Sunday morning, whatever your traditional response would be when God speaks a word like He has today, last Sunday, that might have been okay. But we're standing at the threshold of what I call prophetic opportunity. It's when God opens a door in the Spirit and He says, you just need to move. About a month ago, the Holy Ghost started talking to me about this scripture in 1 Timothy where Paul says to Timothy, Neglect not the gift that was given to you by the word of prophecy and by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He was saying, Timothy, you possess something in your spirit that was imparted to you. Now your responsibility is don't neglect it. You can't have a careless attitude towards it. But you see, that's always been God's battle. He said there's a land that flows with milk and honey, but they wouldn't move at the speed he needed them to move. So he just moved on the heart of Pharaoh to send his armies behind them. Mary, if you really believe that in your belly is about to be born the Messiah that's going to save the world, then surely you would know that the prophecy said he was going to be born in Bethlehem and you're days away from giving birth, but you're in a city 70 miles away. Shouldn't you know enough about the prophecy that you're going to go to where the Messiah is supposed to be born? But no. So God says, it's all right. I'll just move upon the heart of an earthly king to call for a census. And the responsibility of your citizenship will put you in position that your spiritual mindedness did not. The Holy Ghost is talking to us today. I know I'm a new face, but hear me. God's talking to this body today. Whatever tradition you have responded out of before, it's not enough now. Because God said, new life, I brought you to the door. I brought you to the door of a prophetic. It's like Paul said, there's yet an effectual door. I, I know there's many adversaries, but I'm persuaded of what's on the other side of that door. And so here's what God's asking from us right now. Don't make me cripple the economy. Don't make me make it hard. But if I have to, I can move on Pharaoh. If I have to, I can move on Herod. But don't make me. Don't let your tradition trap you. Whatever kind of response you've given God last week or last month or last year on the basis of tradition, in this moment, it's not enough. Because revelation came in this room today. And we have a divine invitation from God to step into a place. We just got to make up our mind. We're going to walk through the door. We're going to cross the Jordan. Come on, I want you to lift up your hands to the Lord right now. Come on, we're not responding out of tradition right now. Come on, whatever is comfortable to you, whatever is familiar... You've got to walk away from it right now. You say, I've never prayed like that before. Well, this is your invitation. 
I've never lifted my voice like that before. This is your moment. I've never come to the altar before. I've never kneeled before. I've never laid prostrate before. I've never shouted. I've never sang in tongues before. This is your moment. 